1: Eric had had too much. He was drunk. But he still got in the car that evening of May 11, 2022. Hey, I'm Paul. Carmen is off this week. This is still, though, mornings, okay, we'll say without Carmen here on Faith Radio. Thank you for joining me. I'll be with you this week as Carmen is out and enjoying skiing out in Breckenridge, Colorado with her husband and, and sister. Back to Eric. It was a deadly night. Eric crashed into a car with two teens in it, Megan Napier and her friend Lisa, both of them, killed. Eric was sentenced to 22 years in prison for DUI. Now, Megan's mom, Renee Napier, broken by the loss, wanted to be certain that the pain she suffered wasn't repeated. So she became a speaker who went into schools to talk about the dangers of driving under the influence, hoping to convince teens, learning to drive, not to make the same mistake. And she spoke of the man who had taken her daughter's life. A man she loathed, but God. Maybe you just heard it a few moments ago, but our Growing Your Faith verse for today, Matthew 5, 46 and 47. If you love only those who love you, what reward is that? Uh, What reward is there in that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different than anyone else? Even pagans do that. Now, Jesus has a way of shattering the ways in which we think. His was a world where the Jewish nation was subjugated to the Roman Empire. Jewish people themselves were divided over a great many things, over how to deal with these foreign rulers What it meant to be a faithful and upright Jew. So when Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount, from which our verse comes today, much of what he said was not only just 180 degrees different from what the world around him was saying, it was actually category-shattering. I mean, look at the Beatitudes. Blessed, happy, flourishing. Yeah, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn. What? That doesn't make sense. Jesus was inviting them and inviting us into the ways of his kingdom, into the ways of God himself, a call to be salt and light in the world. Now, let's look at the bigger context. Again, actually, there's a lot we could say for the 40-some verses leading up to our Growing Your Faith first today. But again, in it, Jesus challenges thinking on all sides. He talks through issues of anger and lust, divorce, making oaths, retaliation, Then he gets to the topic of enemies, and the Jews had enemies. You can think of the Romans, maybe even the Sadducees, or pardon me, the Samaritans. They were even (laughs) at war with each other over what was right. I mean, you had the Pharisees against the Sadducees, the Zealots against the Herodians. Okay, let's look at Jesus' words. Let's back up starting at um, chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there in that? Verses we were reading just a few moments ago. Even corrupt tax collectors do that. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Okay, quick note. Mosaic Law, yes, it talks about love your neighbor. But it says nothing about hating your enemy. Not explicitly. Now, some try to derive it from other passages, like in the Psalms, when God brings vengeance on those hurting us or us calling on God to do that. Yes, God does at times bring vengeance on those who disobey him, both Jew and unbeliever, believer and unbeliever. But more often than not, he shows great restraint and love far more times. And that's what he's calling us to do. So Jesus, our King and Savior, calls us to be like him, to love his enemies. As the Apostle Paul stated, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us also for if, while well, we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of Jesus' son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Again, this is something Jesus lived out, loving his enemies. It's something he died doing. God showed perfect, complete love for us. We're called to do the same. All right, let's go back to the story about Renee and Eric. Now, Renee is a follower of Jesus. God would not let her continue to hate Eric. She read the scriptures, she, this passage, and many others calling on forgiveness. It was not good for her. God knew it was not good for her to remain in that hatred. It was not the ways of the kingdom, the ways of life. She finally came to the point of not only just forgiving Eric in principle, from a distance, No. She went to Eric, who, by the way, was broken by his mistake, not just imprisoned in in the prison system in his heart, but she forgave him in person, and she went even further. She fought for his sentence to be reduced. Eric eventually was freed early, and because of Renee Napier, the mother of one of the girls he killed, Megan... Reagan and uh, Renee and Eric now travel to these schools together speaking of the dangers of drink, uh, driving while drunk, but also speaking of the power of forgiveness, the power of love that redeems enemies and makes them friends. Maybe you've heard the song by Matthew West called Forgiveness. He based the song off Renee's story. Well, this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in, and we are celebrating this month 75 years of ministry. Students back in February of 1949, on the 7th, the first station of what became Faith Radio, a group of stations now, went on the air. Billy Graham, who was the president of Northwestern Bible Schools at the time, now the University of Northwestern, he prayed the dedicatory prayer as the station went on the air, thanks to the giving of students to make it possible. Students. God works amazing, amazingly in the young generations that can cause big change. As a matter of fact, it was a year ago on February 8th of this year, the Holy Spirit sparked a flame at Asbury University during a chapel service. Over the next 16 days, what began as a local experience within the confines of the Asbury campus soon flared into a blaze of a global movement that captured, that captivated millions through the uh, viral power of social media. Okay, it's been a little over a year. What have been the fruits of this event? Well, joining me shortly is Sarah thomas Baldwin, she's the vice president for student life at University uh, Asbury University, and she'll give us an update. What have been the fruits of what happened almost a year ago? Thank you again for listening to Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. So, what hope does the emerging generation have? What many call Gen Z? Well, the answer to that is was the same for our generation, whatever yours. I'm, I'm, I'm Gen X, but. Um, The answer is Jesus. It was about a year ago that the news broke out at Asbury University. February 8th, wasn't it, Sarah? Sarah Thomas Baldwin joining us now from Asbury University, Vice President of Student Life. February 8th, wasn't it?
2: It was February 8th, yes, just a little over a year ago when the Holy Spirit showed up in a really unusual and beautiful way.
1: Okay, I want to talk about that because many people hear about these uh, the stuff like this i've heard of similar things at various college campuses as well through the years and it does seem interesting that a lot of these things start on college campuses we'll get to that in a moment but again sarah thank you for joining us this morning here on mornings with carmen now let's talk about that god moved in an extraordinary way a year ago at asbury you're there you're the vice president of student life um now you're in charge of the chapel services aren't you in a sense?
2: Yeah. Yes, yes. I was uh, certainly holding the logistics and the big picture of our chapel experience for our students. So I got to have a front row seat to how God moved in those days. And during those 16 days, I also got to be one of the ministry stewards and be on the leadership team along with our president and others to really steward what God was doing so miraculously among us. Okay. So
1: tell us what actually happened. I mean, it was just a normal everyday chapel service for you guys, wasn't it?
2: yeah it was. so uh, at the end of the service, well, even during the service, there was before this before the preacher even preached, there was a sense that the worship was really sweet that day, but of course, it is sweet often, right? <laughs> and then, after the service, uh, the the worship team continued to sing, which is not totally uncommon. And we had a few students, a couple handfuls of students that stayed and lingered. But what was uncommon was that instead of things winding down in about 30 minutes or 45 minutes, which we are accustomed to, more and more students started to come. Like, amazingly, they were texting each other, they were showing up, but they just started to arrive. Hmm.
1: And I mean, they were texting each other. Why were they coming? I mean, what was happening in their hearts? Did they tell you about that?
2: Oh, yeah, they really did. Well, that first day, there was just this sweet presence of the Holy Spirit. It was invitational, and students were drawn like by an invisible hand to the altar, and uh, they began, they were praying, they were worshiping, and, and then they began to spontaneously give testimony to say, this is what God is doing in my life. Like, God is is moving. God's calling me into a deeper walk with him. God's calling me into more freedom. And as they began, to, and and at times they confessed sin as well. And as they began to confess sin and give testimony, more students began to give testimony. And then there was some scripture reading that happened, and uh, a few of us and a few of the the pastors began to invite students to to continue to do that. And more and more students just started joining. They left their classes early. <laughs> they they now I, I'm
1: sure a few professors <laughs> might have had a little. Well, maybe they didn't. I don't know.
2: Oh, well, at first, because no one really knew what was going on. Yeah, I, I think everyone was wondering, what is happening? And later that afternoon, there was like a 150 and then 200 students, and then our staff and faculty started joining, and then community people. But again, in those first couple of days, it was really about our campus and about our students and what God was doing among them. And it was really beautiful.
1: You talked about the idea of repentance, and that's usually one of the pe- one of the hallmarks of revival is... People sensing God's holiness, all of a sudden saying, okay, this thing I'm doing or this heart attitude I have, I got to let go. And you were seeing that.
2: Yeah, that's what we saw. I mean, it was really, there was nothing at like a new, of, other than it was a new work of God. But this was, this was the ways that God works. Like he invites people with his kindness into repentance. And people want, when they're, when they're in the holiness of God, it's the spirit of awe that fell over us. And the only thing to do was to repent. I mean, it was just so, we were just so aware of our unholiness and God's holiness
1: Well, again, we're talking with uh, Dr. Sarah Thomas Baldwin, who is the vice president of student life at Asbury University. Okay, I got to ask the next question, Sarah, because, all right, it was on campus, on your campus, just kind of Asbury-centric at that point. But word got out. I mean, how did it get out? You you put out a press release or something? <laughs> how oh, how not did it actually get? Out?
2: <laughs> not at all. I mean, from the beginning, we we just saw this beautiful thing that God was doing and how God was changing our students and how the Holy Spirit was moving and we saw some community members joining and then and then students were coming who I I we think must have just simply been seeing it on Instagram from our own students. Mm-hmm. And They started arriving, but our instincts were not to share it publicly. (laughs) So there was no press release. There was no, we didn't post about it as a university. we We just really wanted to steward it for our students. So we were as surprised as everyone else when other people started to show up.
1: Well, again, we're talking with Sarah Thomas Baldwin. And when we continue our conversation here in 90 seconds, okay, that was a year ago. What's happened since? I mean, you know, you hear about these things and then they just kind of fall off our radar. We get caught up in the 24-hour news cyclone and stuff just kind of, you know, falls off our headlines. But that doesn't mean stuff isn't happening. And that's what we hope to talk about next as we continue here
0: on Faith Radio. You are not alone. Do you believe me when I say that? You are not alone. The enemy wants you to believe that you are not only alone, all alone alone but to make you feel bad about it. That's loneliness. And it's a lie. Jesus tells us that the enemy tells us lies to rob us of our joy, kill our hope, and destroy our lives. And so if you're experiencing loneliness today, let me say this, you're not alone. The enemy is using the weapon of loneliness against a lot of people right now. But here's the good news. God is present. God is present right now, and he's closer to you than your very next breath. God loves you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You were created for relationship with him, and that sense of loneliness that you have right now, well, that's an indication that your heart knows it. Loneliness is the spiritual indicator that real love, real companionship, real relationship, real life are all possible. And guess what? Jesus literally came to make that connection with you. Do you want to know more? Text the word lonely to 877 933 2484. And I'll drop in on you to remind you that God is present and you're not alone. Text lonely, L O N E L Y, to 877 933 2484. Connecting faith to life, Faith Radio.
1: Looking back at a year ago this month, the Asbury outpouring, as some called it. I'm Paul filling in for Gar- uh, Carmen here on Faith Radio. And again, we're talking with Sarah Thomas Baldwin, who's the vice president of student life at Asbury University. And Sarah, you have an upcoming book um, coming out in May, The Generation Awakened, an eyewitness account of the powerful outpouring of God at Asbury. So I guess you're the right person to talk to as we reflect back a year ago. And the fact that you're, you know, the vice president of student life, which, you know, this means you're kind of kind of get your thumb on this, don't you? you have,
2: I'm kind of immersed in it. Yes. <laughs> or can I, I, I say really you have the
1: thumb, it. your thumb on this because. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. Right. Nothing, I'm not in control of it. That's for sure. But I got my finger on the pulse of what is happening on our campus for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, again, going back to a year ago, OK, the students were moved on campus and then word got out. As a matter of fact, we had talked with uh, several people. Uh, we have a mutual friend, Matthew Sleeth, who uh, was uh, there, and he actually from there went to preach at other places after visiting Asbury. And we had talked to him back a year ago when all this stuff was happening and hoping to fan the flame as we were calling it, Carmen, uh, doing these interviews. Okay, so people came to the campus and to, to, to uh, what is it, Wilmore, Kentucky, Right. Yeah, that's That's, right. You got a
2: small town there. How'd you handle it? We are a little town of two stoplights and about six thousand people. And to our great surprise, there was thousands of uninvited, but they were welcome guests that began to show up. And in those first few days, we just kept looking at each other, saying, "What is happening? What is God doing? I can't even believe my eyes." It was it was so surprising to us. And then we kept saying, "Surely this is the crest." and People are going to go home. But instead, it, it, it seemed to have reached an inflection point, and there was more and more people. So we estimate that at least 50,000 people came, probably a lot more. We think that even on one Saturday, there was like about 20,000 people. It, it was just, we could hardly believe our eyes.
1: Mm. Must have been amazing, but that was a year ago. What's it like at a chapel service these days?
2: Well, we have really been experiencing revival on our campus this fall. Uh, y- you know, after, the, after the, the outpouring was released to the world in, on February 23rd, 2023, and uh, we still see signs of God's movement through it all around the world every day. But after that, I, I think our campus was really physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausted. We were a bit subdued <laughs> the rest of the semester. We were wondering uh, what what happened. We, there was a lot to unpack. But when our students came back this fall, there was this spirit of joy with them, a contagious joy, and uh, we've become a community that lingers after chapel frequently when uh, services will continue for one, t- one day last semester for eight hours. Students are gathering spontaneously to worship. We've had multiple baptisms. There just seems like the Holy Spirit has turned up the spiritual temperature on our campus this year.
1: Okay, you talked about what's happening on campus there, but then you also talked about global. And
2: yeah, yeah. so, so what, what was sparked? Okay, so certainly there's, we see several different things that are happening. Uh, certainly, this did kick off a movement of sorts among college students. And we are seeing that even during those initial days, the spark went to other campuses and students began to have extended worship services and all-night prayer. And that continues to happen. We can we hear all the time about college campuses that are experiencing ongoing prayer, revival, there's baptisms. But then we're also seeing how the Holy Spirit is using this in the church. And hardly a day goes by that we don't hear a report from somewhere around the world where revival is broken out, where somebody has a testimony to say, I saw this on YouTube. I was able to come. I share this with my church, You know, whatever it is. uh, it, It seems contagious, like this idea of expectancy that God wants to work. It's contagious.
1: We're again talking with uh, Sarah Thompson Baldwin from Asbury University. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen today here on Faith Radio. And, okay, Sarah, I need to ask you this, too, because, okay, you've been dealing with students for many for several years, I'm sure, and in the position. I mean, how long have you been at Asbury?
2: I've been at Asbury 10 years, but I've really spent my whole career in Christian higher education walking with students as a pastor, as a counselor, as an advisor. So this is my life work.
1: Okay, so... You've seen how students have changed over the years.
2: Yes, and I have.
1: from one culture to another, one group. I mean, f- moving from the uh, the Gen X, and then you had the you know, millennials. The millennials. Now, Gen- you, 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 yeah, you've yeah. seen this. <laughs> and,
2: I've
1: seen it. And there are a lot of people who are feeling hopeless. For Gen Z. I mean, they're the ones who are de churching, or at least there's a lot of talk around that. They're one of the yeah. most secular generations in American history, well, at least in the last hundred years or so. And yet, you're seeing there's a hunger in th- with them, isn't there?
2: Absolutely. You know, my sense is is that this generation is pretty worn out with the faith that we as the the older mentors and leaders have given them as I think they're more discipled by little squares on a screen than they are with real people in church. I think they have a really almost a a spirit of death has lingered over this generation with anxiety and suicidal ideation at all time highs, self-harm mental illness. COVID was a huge step back for a sense of community. So Mm -hmm. more isolation, we expect that almost you can expect that almost every young adult would say that they are lonely on some level i mean it's it's just been epidemic and we can trace a lot of that back to technology and the iphone but we really also can trace it back that that there's we've as perhaps as a, as as christians here at least in the united states we've really presented a a divisive kind of faith a pick aside faith a, mm-hmm. And so my sense is, is that students are really ready for something real and substantive, something that isn't produced, something that isn't just on squares on a screen, something where they can have an embodied experience with God, with people that show up together. And I think they're hungry for more. And they're also hungry for healing, Mm -hmm. to be set free from addiction, to be set free from mental Mental illness and uh, depression, and also to find community. So I think they're hungry. They're so they're really wanting something, something new. They're really wanting Jesus.
1: They are. So if that's the case, and you're already entering into it on a daily basis, but as somebody from one of the older generations, I won't specify. I'm, I'm Gen X. I know that. How I'm Gen can X. okay, hungry. good, good. Well, how can we enter in to be part of what God is doing there with the younger generation? How, what do you, what are yeah. some of the key things you think we could we could be doing?
2: Okay, That's such an exciting question. Uh, now this isn't particularly for Gen Z. This is for every generation. life to life discipleship walking alongside and building relationships. They say that young people stick with the Christian faith when they have intergenerational relationships, and i I know that's that's can be challenging to figure out how to connect. <laughs> but showing up in Gen Z's lives is really significant and i think that the younger generation is hungry to be what we call spiritually parented by us gen xers and above right mm-hmm. like to have people that give them blessing who see what see how they're created in the image of god to speak love over them to not not like any, every, everything goes to speak truth and honesty but in with so much love So I think that's a big part of it, and being serious and mature Christians ourselves. And then also giving them space to linger and abide in Jesus, to perhaps create opportunities in worship that just give a little bit of space. We're not just on a schedule. We don't have to go to the next thing. Like, there's space for relationship. There's space to linger in the Holy Spirit.
1: And there's space, I would hope, to not react when, okay, uh, just like uh just like uh, adults we say, say stupid things sometimes the kids are going to say stuff that we might think is stupid not react but just right. le-
2: uh- yeah, not to react, to give space. You know, I I often tell people that uh, that storytelling, like your own story. So instead of a moral lesson, you should do this and that. Give them stories like, how did you experience God? How did you make hard decisions when you had sin in your life? What did that look like? How did you change? Uh, these kinds of stories create bridges. So instead of morality tales, or you should be doing this and you shouldn't be doing that, or i I'm so anxious about you. <laughs> instead, we're sharing our own story of what God has done in our life.
1: Mm. Sarah, thank you so much for that, and look forward to your book in May, A Generation Awakened, and hopefully, you know, as we ta- we were talking, like I said a year ago, fanning the flame. Yes, doing that in prayer, but also, if we're going to fan the flame, m- these intergenerational relationships are going to be ever so important.
2: Absolutely. Let's so. go deeper in Jesus for the sake of those coming after us. All yeah, right. Absolutely.
1: Sarah, thank you for joining us this morning here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio.
2: What a joy. Thank you so much for letting me bear witness to what God is doing.
1: You are very welcome. Again, Mornings with Carmen helping you apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day. And I don't know if you heard about this. Now, I'm not a Patriots fan. I won't tell you that. But congratulations to Matthew Slater, who, you know, here he went from being the 158th pick in the NFL draft back in 2008 to being in three Super Bowls, or at least winning three Super Bowls. He was in several. And then also, just a great career. He announced his retirement this past Tuesday. But in typical fashion, he led his announcement with his acknowledgement of his faith. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, Slater said in his retirement announcement. (laughs) Basically referring to Paul in the second letter uh, to Timothy. The 38-year-old Slater, who... uh, whom longtime Patriots coach Belichick once referred to as a perfect player, spent 16 seasons with the team, earning the respect of his teammates and opponents alike for his excellence. Uh, Previously, in an interview with Religion News Service, he talked about, you know, faith is the lens through which I see my life, the world, the relationships I have had, my profession. That is something that was rooted in me as a young person, and it's something that I have accepted and grew into as I got older. I always saw myself as a Christian who just happened to play football. I always tried to keep in front of me the principles of the gospel: love, peace, forgiveness, and kindness. Slater plans to attend uh, plans to attend seminary here in the future. You know, when you hear news stories like this, Christian athletes are a celebrity. Or, okay, during the Super Bowl, there was the commercial that was a lot of people have been talking about, pointing people to Jesus. And did it do it well? Well. Actually, here's the thing: How do we engage with others in these conversations? Carmen, this past week, talked to Adam Holtz from Plugged In about how we can enter conversations when stuff like this God breaks out in in the entertainment media. You hear news like that, and these are great opportunities, especially on one-on-one situations, to point people to Jesus. But what happens when God is invoked in the realm of okay, our political discourse? How do we enter into those conversations redemptively? We hope to talk to uh, Dan Bennett in just a few moments. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. All right, the word candid. We all know what that means, right? Okay, do we really? uh... I'm Paul filling in for Carmen and joining me now, Dan Bennett from John Brown University, a political scientist. He also he also blogs at a at a uh, site called Uneasy Citizenship. OK, Dan, definition time. Pull out your from the top of your head. Don't pull out the dictionary. What does candid mean?
3: Uh, I would define candid as something that you do or say without a lot of preparation, kind of off the cuff uh your your first impression uh give me your candid understanding or candid impression of this would be without a lot of polish flourish gut gut instinct what do you think it is okay so kind of you're being open right yeah i would say so yeah okay because that
1: okay traditionally that has been the definition but I grew up okay, dating myself here. Sorry, um, back in the '60s and '70s, when I and I watched way too much TV as a kid. I will say that right out of the gate, as a little kid, because I was born in '66, there was a TV show called Candid Camera. I don't know if you remember that. That was probably after your oh, after, sure, or before your okay, you do, because for yeah. a time, and I remember us talking about this in high school English class and how words can change, and the word candid got to, by many people thinking, because of that TV show, was hidden. It had opposite Mm. meanings. And for a while, that actually showed up in dictionaries, but the hidden one has since kind of gone in the background because the TV show went away, and anyway. But words can get changed because of how they get used, and I think when it comes to, there's been a lot of talk around Christian nationalism, and this is something you point out in your most recent blog, on the uneasy citizenship is the fact that the definition of of what is okay what's christian what's nationalism that's kind of a mess right now
3: yeah it's definitely a mess uh ever since research on this really blew up in 2016 and 2017 uh you mostly in an academic context trying to understand this socio-political phenomenon uh it's just kind of exploded into the mainstream consciousness to the point where elected officials are talking about this term. Journalists are talking about this term. Uh, certainly scholars continue to talk about this term, authors popular and otherwise. And, you know, ultimately I, I think it reflects the, the malleability of language to really fit with whatever definition we're hoping to put it into because, You know, I'll just be frank. I do think there are forms of what, uh, you know, I would identify as Christian nationalism that are dangerous to the United States and the future of our of our political system Mm -hmm. that that is far less common than what is usually described as Christian nationalism in the mainstream today.
1: I did hear over the weekend about a quote, or at least I saw a quote over the weekend, let me put it that way, and this is attributed to a political re- uh, reporter or whatever, and this was on one of the cable news networks, and her definition was, the thing that unites them as Christian nationalists, not Christians by the way, because Christian nationalism is very different, is that they believe that our rights as Americans, as hum- all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority, they don't come from Congress. They don't come from the Supreme Court. They come from God. And I'm kind of going, wait a minute. Now, I'm, I'm with you. There are certain aspects, of a lot of Christian nationalism, I, well, depending how you define it, I disagree
3: with. Yeah. But this would pay, paint me as a Christian nationalist. Well, sure, and it would paint Thomas Jefferson as a Christian nationalist for his writing in the Declaration of Independence, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. So she would later clarify, not very successfully. She said, "Well, what differentiates, you know, these so-called Christian nationalists from others is their desire to enact certain forms of policy based on these rights that she finds objectionable." But that's the key: <laughs> yeah. is if if you're if you're finding policies or identifying policies you see as objectionable, and then connecting that back to a worldview that is supposedly driving these policy views, then it renders any meaningful discussion of Christian nationalism pointless, because there are forms where I'm sure there are Christians out there in the world today in the United States who say, yeah, we should have a generally theocratic system of government, a Christian prince enforcing Christian civil and uh, criminal laws on the populace, whether they're Christian or not. That's very different, Paul, than a listener this morning saying, I would like to see my elected officials uh, act in a Christianly way. That might peg them as a Christian nationalist and lump them in with the far more dangerous type. Mm-hmm. So my biggest critique of this malleability of language, and I'll get off my soapbox. My <laughs> biggest critique. <laughs> no, you stay on it. You're fine. Keep it, going. <laughs> well, the biggest critique is it actually obscures the real dangers of uh, actual Christian nationalism by lumping it in with the far less sinister and more popular and common, say, desire for Christian virtue in the public square.
1: Again, talking with Dan Bennett from the Uneasy Citizenship Blog, a political science professor at John Brown University. And okay, the bigger question to me, though, this morning, as much as we can debate all these, is for us, you know, the average Christian who wants to see good governance, but also you know, also wants to help people understand the gospel better. How can we re-enter into these conversations? In your mind, how? What are some things we can do to enter into this conversation in a redemptive fashion?
3: Well, certainly, if you you know are encountering someone uh, who is skeptical of Christian nationalism, uh, and and certainly, I think most of your listeners would be skeptical of Christian nationalism as it's actually you know constructed. But if they're encountering someone who you know might be predisposed to think that any type of Christian uh, in the public square is is prone to Christian nationalism you know asking clarifying questions not being immediately defensive and saying well that's not me I mean that could be part of your motivation to, to enter these conversations say well what do you mean by Christian nationalism what is it exactly and and you know if, if they give a more academic answer or if they give a the more popular answer you could say well you know should we be should we be forced or should anyone be really required to set aside moral or religious convictions before entering into the public square and engaging the civic space and if the answer then is yes then there can be some further probing questions like what about you know how how do you do this as a voter and i have a feeling it's difficult for a person to do this by the way as a voter to divorce themselves from their moral or, or theological convictions um but but the, but the point is to have constructive and intentional conversations with people with whom you disagree, not for the purpose of proving them wrong, not for the purpose of saying ah you, I got you caught up in a in a contradiction, but rather to say I want to learn more about what motivates this perspective in you, and then the the ultimate end goal I think would be to say here is how my faith motivates me. And here is how I think that I am not the kind of nefarious Christian nationalist that you're identifying. And at the end of the day, if the person says, well, I still think that's wrong, then that's one thing. But even if you cast some sort of distance between the, the bad boogeyman Christian nationalist and the, you know, the grandmother or, or the grandfather or the mother and father who believes in a Christian influence in public policy, I think that's a productive way to start on the micro level. Mm, I agree with you,
1: Dan. Uh, Dan Bennett is our guest, and as we continue our conversation in just a moment, we're going to pivot a little bit because, okay, where do you get your news? Do you uh, are there certain websites you go to? Do you pay for your news? Because <laughs> that is something that has really fallen off, and I think we're bearing the fruit of that. We're going to talk uh, about some some what somebody calls journalistic or journalism tithing and that's coming up next here on mornings with carmen on faith radio
0: as we consider the life of jesus and the life of the first generation of christians reading here the book of acts and all the letters to the christians in the new testament we see people who like wake up they come to see and understand and then receive jesus as their savior and lord and it changes everything We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224.
1: Hey, I forgot to mention, you know, we are celebrating our 75th anniversary here at Faith Radio, and we're giving away the gifts If you haven't yet, you still have a few more days, you have until, I think, Thursday, to go to MyFaithRadio.com. We have 75 birthday boxes. It has a Faith Radio 75th Anniversary T-shirt. It's got Brent Hansen's book. We talked with Brent uh, just a few days ago. Life is hard. God is good. Let's dance. There's a copy of that book in there. And there's other goodies as well. Would you like to win one of those? Well... Again, you have to sign up to win at MyFaithRadio.com. Let's get back to our conversation with Dan Bennett here on Faith Radio as we, uh, again, try to apply the mind of Christ to the political sphere. And, Dan, we were talking about one of the problems as as we were looking at Christian nationalism, the term – and there's a lot of words, a lot of phrases, a lot of – labels they get abused for various reasons i mean i know people are trying to sway people to their opinion so these labels oftentimes get used as boogeymen and like that and it it gets picked up by the media which brings up a bigger question where are we getting our news from and so the next question to that is okay a lot of people with the internet hey things are free so watching the free news and sometimes that's not the best is it
3: no, I mean, we live in interesting times in the sense that uh, we have access to more information and perspectives about the world than at any point in human history. I remember uh, growing up and, you know, what I would say that night at my grandparents' house, I would go out first thing in the morning and pick up a copy of the Oregonian newspaper <laughs> that they had delivered to their house. mm mm-hmm and uh you know we would immediately flip to the box scores for baseball games well, of course and the comics but of and course the comics, the comics yes. yeah on sundays on sunday mornings for sure wow well, i uh, did it every day come on well i know yeah you know peanuts i, I was come really on. into the base you gotta do peanuts. that's fine okay uh but but that's where they got the majority of their news that's where they you know they would tune into local uh television stations KG, kgw and kptv in portland for example but you know, nowadays with the proliferation not only of cable news but obviously of uh, of, of uh, online sources, social media, you have access to national newspapers through their websites that we didn't used to have. We've gotten used to having the, this really uh, just embarrassment of riches at our disposal. And if you were asked to pay for every news source that you consume, I don't think that most people would be able to do it. Just no. in terms of. You know, you, you get a New York Times subscription, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, uh, Atlantic, New Yorker, your local stations and uh, newspapers. That adds up. Right. Mm-hmm. And so pe- people are looking to try to, you know, get the get the news for as, as uh, cheaply and quickly as they can. And the result is, you know, we've seen downsizing in, in media organizations. And ultimately what it does is it rewards the the media companies that that really do traffic in uh, hyperbole, and uh, stories that get the most views and eyeballs. Mm. And that certainly doesn't help our discourse, particularly when it's the contentious topics that tend to, to, that tend to sell the most.
1: Right. Now, Bonnie Christian, your friend, who uh, yeah. also writes for Christianity Today, made the case for what she calls journalism tithing. So tell us about that.
3: Yeah, so, so obviously Christians, you know, are called to set aside, uh, you know, a portion of our of our take home and income, or, or however you're describing it, to support the local body and to support other ministries associated with the church, uh, often, you know, seen as 10%, but it could be more, it could be less, depending on your stage of life. And Bonnie makes an interesting argument in this Christianity Today piece, why don't we do that more for practices that we find really valuable in our, in our society and community. So, you know, a journalism tithe might be something as simple as saying, okay, well, I'm going to set aside a few dollars every month and I'll be, I'll be supporting a reporter or a, maybe even an outlet that I find particularly useful in navigating the, the, the news of the day. And if we were to treat that, she says, in the same way that we treat our commitment to, you know, certainly the, the local church and other ministries, then we'd be effectively putting our money where our mouths are in terms of supporting, you know, people who, who do make a big difference in providing, uh, you know, solid, uh, deeply sourced and, and reliable information about the world. Hmm. So it's an interesting idea. I have a feeling, uh, you know, particularly with the negative connotations the media has among so many today, that's going to be a tough sell. But I like that it's an innovative and interesting way of thinking
1: about it. I also think about the local aspect, too, because local journalism yes. in many places is almost non-existent now. There's there's what yeah. we, um, some might say kind of uh, local news deserts.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely right. So here in Siloam Springs, Arkansas, for example, we have a local newspaper that comes out twice a week. Uh, we have a daily newspaper that covers the entire region, which is, which is fine, that, that the, that's okay, but even in our town of 20,000, there's a lot of stuff going on, but most people, frankly, if they're looking for information about the town, they're going to turn to Facebook, the local town Facebook pages, which is just people sharing what amounts to gossip or secondhand information <laughs> about, the, about the town. Like what happened in my neighborhood
1: this past weekend because yeah. we, pow- we had a power outage yesterday oh, morning, yeah. and so what I do there's a local Facebook group for the town I'm in. Oh yeah, there was a power outage. It should be Conexa mm. says it should be up in about an hour and a half. It's like, okay, yeah. yeah, that that kind of helps yeah. out having that, but still,
3: um, <laughs> <laughs> it helps to have that you, book you miss some. You do, and and you know Michael Ware who's written a, a new book, The Spirit of Our Politics. Uh, one of his big recommendations for Christians is, and I've heard this in other contexts as well, to decenter the nationalization of politics from our lives. Mm. He's not saying, and I'm certainly not saying, that national elections don't have consequences. Obviously, who wins the presidency in November is going to matter for the future of myriad issues. But we're so prone to look at politics and cultural issues from this national perspective. When, and really what that amounts to is ignoring the role and the place of the local and in the our neighbor. lives and the, neighbor. and the neighbor and the people in our community, the people that we live next to every single day. We tend to overlook that in favor of these nationalized stories. So paying attention to local news, maybe finding a local newspaper outlet or website that specializes in your community and then applying just a little bit of uh, of resources to support that is an investment, not just in better information, but also in your neighborhood and your community.
1: Okay. Hey, I got to ask you one more question, Dan, because, okay, even though Carmen's not here, we won't have a Monday mailbag segment because she likes doing that. But there is a question we get so often in our <clears throat> quote unquote mailbag that people ask, okay, where should I turn to? What? Where's one place I can go to to get all the correct news or all the true news?
3: <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> So the 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 the, the best the, the site that I like the most, I'm going to have to narrow this down to political news, frankly. Okay, yeah. The site, the site that I like the most and it, is, it does cost right. It does cost a little bit. The site that I like the most is the dispatch, okay. frankly. It's an online source. It was founded by Jonah Goldberg and some other veterans from right leaning outlets like National Review but their congressional coverage, at least at the national level, is top notch. They have a lot of state they have a lot of state uh, coverage as well in different places around the country. And it's written in a way that provides context and clarifying information without being sensational. Mm. It talks about it talks about the stakes without trying to hyperbolize the outcome. So right. I would say that the Dispatch is something your listeners should look into if they're at all curious uh, about uh, a, an alternative form of coverage.
1: So usually the answer we give them, and I was hoping you'd go there too, is there isn't one because you need to get perspective oh, from various things. Yeah.
3: Well, <laughs> and that's why one. it's hard. Like, yeah. that's why it's hard. Yeah, there's not there's not one right source. Obviously. No. Uh, because you know, even even a site that I really enjoy, like the Dispatch, they're not going to cover what's happening in your community. Exactly. Uh, they're not going to cover. They're going to have biases and blind spots. Mm-hmm. So I like the Dispatch, but goodness, you have to recognize that you're getting a limited sliver of the.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us again. Again, uh, Dan, Oh, by the way, your book uh, – okay, you have an Uneasy yes. Citizenship book coming out. That's, what, the summer, hopefully?
3: Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting to hear back from the publisher on it. We're shooting for a late summer, early fall release date for Uneasy Citizenship, Embracing the Tension and Faith and Politics – Ideally, before the election, it is not an election book, but hopefully it would be encouraging to people as they navigate the election season.
1: And I like that subtitle about entering into the tension, because that's pretty much where we're going to be living most of the time. Hey, Dan, thanks again for joining us here on Faith Radio. Anytime. All right. Well, again, I'm Paul filling in for Carmen. This is Mornings Without Carmen this week. Again, she's off this week, but uh, don't worry. You can always listen to her. If you miss her voice, we have lots of podcasts. Maybe you missed some of the previous conversations Carmen had. All you need to do is uh, go to MyFaithRadio.com, and you can find the podcast there, or... Uh, You can find our podcast on Spotify and also Google and Apple Podcasts. We're all over. We're all.
0: Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.